you've heard already, a four-part series. Talk about general idea of, of uh, leadership. I, I even kind of cringe when I use that word leadership because I think there are so many ideas associated with leadership that's more worldly than it is biblical. But for, for now, we'll use that word. We're about to begin a very important process in the life of the church where we actually nominate, elect, and ordain deacons and elders. It's very important. We say here a lot at Redeemer, as the leadership goes, so goes the church. And it is true, if we're going to equip the saints here in this local body of the Church of Jesus Christ, if we're going to equip one another to reach the community, we need to know what we're doing, we need to know how we're going to do it. So it's a very important process over the next few months. You'll have an opportunity to participate in that. If you're not signed up for the, the emails at, at our website, I would encourage you to do that, whether you're a visitor or not. Uh, it's just a good way to keep up with what's going on at Redeemer. But there's other reasons why this sermon series is important. Because I, I do know that, that some of you may have, when we talked about this, may have automatically said, well, this isn't going to be that interesting. Or maybe you're just visiting the church for the first or second time and you're not sure how it applies. Or, or maybe you're just checking out this Christianity stuff. Well, there, there are real reasons why what we're going to be preaching on is very important. First of all, this is, in many respects, basic Christianity, central to everything that we do, everything that we preach, everything that we teach is centered around the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. These sermons will be no different. They will apply to every person in this congregation. They will apply to the, the youngest of us and the oldest. And they will apply to men and women in our congregation. But the other thing that I think, and I've, I've kind of referenced this already, the other reason that it's very important is the world that we live in on a daily basis can be very influential in the way that we think, in the way that we act can be very convincing as well. And as we look at what the Bible has to say, what God has to say about who we are to be as Christians, it has a tendency to shake things up, turn things upside down. And I think you're going to see that throughout the course of, of this month. Um, not only about the, the elders and deacons in this church, but Christianity in general. It's not always what we expect. So, Let's look at our passage that we're going to use this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can open up there. If you don't, it's printed for you in your bulletin. Let's hear what Paul has to say, writing to a particular church at a particular time in regard to himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. This is God's Word, 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 5. This is how one should regard us. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do, do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. 
Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this assembly of saints whom you've gathered together today. And we ask that you would just make your presence known to us. Help us to hear the things that you would have us hear. Work in our hearts. Change us for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. So I do know many people who don't like church or they're not interested in Christianity. Sometimes it's because of so-called Christian leaders, the the famous ones, and sometimes the not-so-famous ones. And it is true, many of us can get distracted, even, even as believers in church, many of us can get distracted from the love of God and the simplicity of the gospel because they've had a bad experience in church, certain people of the church. It's usually people, and it's sad. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And oftentimes, it's very, very tragic. We have to admit that. I think we need to acknowledge that. But at the same time, we have to recognize that it is nothing new. That the church of God throughout the history of the ages has been full of messed up people. We've got problems, and we need to acknowledge that. Even this passage here, the church at Corinth was a mess. There was divisions, there was factions, there was jealousy, there was arguments, and that some followed Paul, some followed Apollos, some liked Peter for some reason. The Jews, the ethnic Jews among the Christian congregation at Corinth, they were looking for miraculous signs. The ethnic Greeks, they wanted worldly wisdom. And you know what Paul's solution to all their problems was? Paul's solution was look to Jesus Christ and him crucified. And what I want to recognize this morning is that the solution to any of the problems in the church, the solution to the church moving forward is never something the world expects. It's not better organization, as important as organization is. It's not perfect leaders, as important as good elders and deacons are. It's not even relevance, because the gospel message is always relevant. In fact, to the world, the solution to the church's problems is considered weak, low, and even despised. Because it's all about the God who comes as a man, as as the Shorter Catechism says. God comes as a man born into a poor family, made subject to the law, the miseries of this life, the anger of God even, because, because God is angry at injustice, God is angry at sin, and ultimately dies on the cross to save sinners like me and you. The solution is Jesus Christ. It's not what the world expects. And it's not even what the religious people of the time, what they were looking for. 
So to begin with, like the rest of the world, I think we have certain ideas about what a, quote, leader is. There are a lot of good leadership books out there. I had the, the opportunity last week to, to look at a few of those, to look at a, a several journal articles. And they all talk about these things. They all, in some measure, they talk about vision. They talk about communication. They talk about inspiration and motivation. And there's nothing inherently wrong with any of those things. But what seems to be consistent with everything that I read on leadership last week They rarely talk about accountability. They rarely talk about service to those people around them. And they never talk about suffering. One article I read from a mainline evangelical denominations journal, I'll read the quote to you. A great leader will be free from the normal humdrum existence of ordinary mortals. It's ridiculous. It's not even true. Like the Corinthians, we too may have accepted models from the world, expectations about not only what we're supposed to expect from our leaders, our elders, our deacons, our pastors, but maybe we have those expectations among members here. God's word, specifically our text this morning, emphasizes something different. Paul writes, this is how you should regard me, he says, and other leaders of the church. First, this is how you are to regard him, a servant of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God, second, and it's required of these servants and stewards that they be found, thirdly, faithful. So what we're going to do in the next 15, 20 minutes or so, we're going to look at these three ideas very briefly because they're not really that hard. Servant, steward, faithful. But because faithfulness is hard to evaluate, secondly, we're going to look at Paul's process of evaluation, how we are to look at one another and our elders and our deacons and our pastors. So it's a process of evaluation, number two. And then the reason that he can do what he does there is, thirdly, his perspective on his life. Now, Paul is specifically talking about himself to the Corinthians about being an apostle, and he is an apostle in a unique way. He's not like any of us here. He met the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, and he was set apart for a specific thing, very specific to that time. But that doesn't mean that we can't learn something on our own for ourselves about who we ought to be as a church from this passage. And the first thing Paul says is this, I am a servant of Christ. Notice he doesn't first say, hey, I'm the leader and you need to follow me. He says, I am a servant of Christ and being a servant of Christ, he follows Jesus Christ. So the first thing that I want us to grab hold of is anybody and everybody, but especially our elders and deacons, they have to be followers of Christ. That's what a leader is. A leader is a follower. In chapter 2, Paul has already told the Corinthians to not boast in men. He says, don't boast in Paul. Don't boast in Apollos. Don't boast in Peter. So we're not to follow people first and foremost. We're to follow Jesus Christ. That goes for everybody listening this morning. We are accountable to God first 
and then to people after that. Realize, if we get this backwards, we'll end up with a church of people pleasers. And it, it doesn't work. Can you imagine? We have two services right now. Can you imagine if we tried to have a service for everybody in a particular way that they wanted, how many church services we'd have? It wouldn't work. In other words, all of us as Christians, we need to know that we work for the King of Kings and we are accountable to Him. Following Christ, leading is following Jesus. Serving Jesus Christ always leads to serving other people in what is best for them. We aren't independent, wise teachers. We don't pretend to know everything that that either we think we should know or you think we should know. We are, all of us, in this congregation, servants of Jesus Christ, and we want other people to see us that way as well. And a servant of Jesus Christ, very simply, is obedient to what God has revealed to, it, to us in his word. We have a tendency to make things very complicated, and there are some very complicated things in Scripture But for the most part, how we are to live as servants of Jesus Christ, it's pretty simple. There are simple things that God has revealed, and we should be trying to follow Christ in those areas. So not only a servant, though, Paul also says a steward of the mysteries of God. And Paul is not using the word mystery like it's mysterious in the way that we use the word today. The mysteries of God are, I think first we have to realize the mysteries of God are things that human beings won't discover on their own. Something the rest of the world doesn't expect. But in its essence, Paul is talking about the gospel. The mysteries of God are the gospel. That God has saved his people by dying on a cross in the person of Jesus Christ and being raised from the dead wasn't fully revealed in the Old Testament until Jesus Christ came, but now those mysteries of God have been revealed in the person of Jesus. A steward, one who is a servant and following Jesus, who's stewarding the mysteries of God, which is the gospel, he will take the truth of what Jesus Christ has done, is doing, will do, take those truths and share it with the world. Not only in what he says, but in the way that he lives. We are entrusted as stewards to live out the gospel, to take something that's been given to us and distribute it the best we can to the world around us, to our families, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our coworkers. I do think this should lead to what I have called here, I've read other places, a bold humility. If we are a servant and a steward, the gospel, it's a humility or it's a boldness because our boss is the unrivaled king of the world. We work for, we live for Jesus Christ who is reigning now at the right side of God. There is a humility because all that we have and all that we are is a gift from God. We don't do anything to earn our place. We're not any better than anybody else, and we're not here to do our own thing. We're here for God's things. And when I think about bold humility, it's, it's not something grand. 
It's not scoring a touchdown. It's not uh, everybody looking at you. It's the little things that we do in the world. I remember a story. There was a young man sitting alone at lunch one day in a particular restaurant, and he's reading a book. He's reading a book about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the server comes up to take his order. Then the server looks down as he takes his order for his drink and his food, and he actually says, "Um, you really believe that, looking at the book. Well, that individual, he boldly said, why, yes, unashamedly, I believe that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. And he humbly said, I would love for you to believe that too. And that server walked away and kind of scoffed, kind of poked fun at him. And in fact, there was reason to believe that basically the rest of the time at lunch, he was ignored, didn't get his second glass of Coca-Cola. As opposed to getting mad, as opposed to getting upset, he had to leave, he took the check, and he gave that individual a bigger tip than he would have, even bigger than they deserved. Something as simple as that is serving Jesus and stewarding the gospel. We have opportunities every day, each and every one of us, to serve Jesus and not ourselves or other people, to steward the gospel of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, they are to be found faithful. So it's not eloquence. It's not worldly wisdom, it's not even our own vision for who we ought to be, but it's faithful. And faithfulness does not mean perfect. Faithfulness can mean some of the things the world thinks is important, but Paul is giving the single criteria of how God evaluates his servants and stewards of the truth. And that is, are we faithful servants and stewards? That's the standard. Now it gets a little tricky there, right? How do you evaluate faithfulness? I think Paul gives us an indication of how we are to regard not only our lives, but other people's lives as well. He says, and he's talking about faithfulness, right? He's talking about how they are judging him. It's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but that does not make me innocent. That's what Paul's saying there. Just what he thinks of himself doesn't make him innocent. He says, it is the Lord who judges me. So the the Corinthians, well, let me say this first. Because we have a tendency to think that the Bible doesn't teach that, or the Bible teaches that we're not supposed to judge. That we're not supposed to evaluate. That we're not supposed to discern. That's not what Paul is saying here. That's not what Jesus says, even in the Gospels, because it's not unimportant about what other people think of us. It's not even unimportant about what we think of ourselves. Paul is not upset with the Corinthians because they're evaluating his work. Paul is upset with the process that they are using. The Corinthians have been evaluating him not on his faithfulness as a servant and a steward, but rather according to the world's idea about what's good, what's bad. It's not that leaders or even our own lives ought not to be evaluated. It's not that we aren't to make judgments about how things are going. 
but we're to judge according to God's standards, God's expectations, and not the world's. It doesn't mean that we can't learn from other people. In fact, one of the reasons that we have a body of believers here at Redeemer is because we know that we learn from other people. But we are to always remember that our ultimate loyalty is to Christ and his desires, not the whims and opinions of other people. Paul is upset with the process that the Corinthians are doing. And it's God's evaluations with God's priorities that matter. What Paul is actually saying is, my life is open for all to see. It's part of the reason why we read Job this morning. God's evaluation of his servant, by the way, Job also suffered a tremendous amount. He says he's blameless, he's upright, he feared God, and he turned away from evil. That's God's evaluation to Job. That's not Job's self-evaluation. So what what does God mean when he says Job is blameless, upright, fears God, and turns away from evil? Blameless. As, As Matt said earlier, it doesn't mean sinless. Job himself, if you read the rest of the book, he admits to the iniquities of his youth. He even says, my own sin. Job is blameless because his within is like his without. It's personal integrity. It's not, it's not sinless perfection. It's what the world would say is authentic. And I submit to you, without Jesus Christ, you can't truly be authentic. He doesn't pretend to be one thing on the outside and another thing on the inside. That's blameless. Upright simply means he deals straight with other people. He's not duplicitous. He doesn't say one thing to one person, another thing to another. What you see is what you get. He fears God. That's a servant. He turns away from evil. That's repentance. Paul is saying, as far as I know, I am good with how God evaluates me as his child. And the reason why he can say that is the third point. He has a particular perspective about his life, which should be all our perspectives. It's why I titled the sermon, The Unambiguous Life. Verse 5, you look at verse 5. Paul knows without a doubt that Jesus Christ will come again. He is so sure that he's met the living Savior and he knows that his Savior will return. And his life is lived in light of that. So much so, he's so convinced that Jesus Christ will come back that his present life on earth is is life like he's already there. I need you to grab hold of that. We should be so sure that Jesus Christ is coming back that our lives lived here on earth are as if Jesus Christ is with us. It's a life lived before the face of God with no regrets. If you can live before God knowing that you are trying to please him, you can live before anyone else. It's not because we're perfect. In fact, in light of our failures, in light of our imperfections, even our sin, we can live in front of God and the world with no secrets because we don't have to hide from Jesus Christ whom we serve and whom we steward. We can be honest with those around us. When we do something right, we can praise God. 
when we mess up, we're free to say I'm sorry and keep moving forward. We do care about what other people think of us. We do even, we're even called to have a proper evaluation of our own selves. But what ultimately matters is what God knows, what God thinks, and it's all in terms of what Jesus Christ has done, is doing, and will do. Living in light of the resurrection of Jesus is living in light of the fact that we know he will come home and we're living like it now. It doesn't mean we don't mess up. It means when we mess up, we know that Jesus knows and we ask his forgiveness and we keep moving forward trying, I'm going to do better tomorrow. You don't have to pretend to be something you're not. Living in light of the return of Christ, Paul says, when Christ returns, all things will be revealed. You want to know why this passage ends with the, the commendation? It's because he knows that Jesus Christ has done everything to make him right. And he's free to do the things that he believes Jesus Christ has called him to do. We know as brothers and sisters in Christ, that Jesus Christ is alive, that he will return, and in the meantime, we'll live before him as if he's already here. So whether or not the Lord calls you to be an elder or a deacon here at this church, we can all be servants of Jesus Christ, living for him. We can be stewards of the gospel, taking the things that he's given us and try to share it with the world. And we can be faithful because Jesus Christ has come, and he will return. And in the meantime, when we walk out these doors, we know that he goes with us. And we're free to do the things that, called us, that God calls us to do. This is the gospel. This is what's important for each and every one of us, whether you're a young lady sitting out there in the congregation today that's just 10 or 12 years old. You can be a servant, you can be a steward, and you can be faithful. Or whether you're, you're an old man and you're, you're, you're thinking about how am I going to end my life well, serve Jesus, steward the gospel, live in light of the fact that Jesus Christ will come back. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I, I pray that we would all grab a hold of the beauty and the power of what Jesus Christ has done for us as individual Christians and that we would grab a hold of it as a church and that other people, even the people visiting this morning or if the people that, that may not like the church because of certain things, Father, would they see us as a people seeking to serve our Savior? seeking to steward the good news of the gospel and working with all our heart to please you. In Jesus' name, amen.